Now, now I'm with you. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Closing. I will rise among the saints. 
this incredible story, but I, I want to start a little bit earlier than the resurrection. Very early in the morning, this is from Mark chapter 15, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You've said so. Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up, Asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. All right, you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing full well it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Well, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate re released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. There was a song you're probably familiar with uh, that was written, I don't know, 200 years ago uh, or, or more. Uh, Were you there? You've probably heard people sing this in the past. This was put in a, in a hymn book back in about 1899. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they pierced his side? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? Were you there? I submit to you that we were there. And if you're not willing to buy that we were there, I hope you'll at least entertain the possibility that I was there. In fact, we see that I was there in the last passage from Mark that we just read. You're, you're, 
I don't know how many times you've read this or maybe seen a story like it, people telling stories about this, teaching lessons about this, and maybe some of you have missed this moment where you're there. It's like, a, it's like an Easter egg, right? You guys are familiar with Easter eggs? Definitely today, a lot of Easter eggs. We had an Easter egg hunt here uh, yesterday. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt at our house when we go home. You know, you boil the eggs, right, and then you, you color the eggs. I got a pink one this year really well. It was just a really deep pink, best pink Easter egg I ever colored. I don't even think I'm going to give him that one. I'm just going to keep that one. That was a great one. Anyway, you get the eggs, you know, you boil the eggs, you color the eggs, and then you hide the eggs, and the kids find the eggs, and uh, we hid ours like two or three weeks ago outside, so they should be fine. Um, we're going to do that when we get home. Easter egg. But there's another type of Easter egg that I'm sure you're familiar with. This, this, this idea of an Easter egg was coined back in 1979, a couple of decades ago, and that is simply to find something that's specifically put there, but it's kind of hard to see. Hard to find, hard to notice. It's there for a reason. It's there deliberately. It's there for a lesson. And, and certainly in this scene that we just read, we have an Easter egg that some of you have found over the years, but maybe some of you have not. And when we realize this, we realize that we were there. The above passage talking about the release of Barabbas. You know, it's an incredibly important Easter egg. The story of Barabbas is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts. The foot washing of Jesus as he washes his disciples' feet, that's not recorded in all four accounts. Water and wine is not recorded in all accounts. The Great Commission is not recorded, at least to the same way in all accounts. The Christmas story is not recorded in all the accounts of the gospel message. The genealogy of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, all of those are not recorded the same way or some at all in some of the gospel accounts of Jesus. But this release of Barabbas from prison is in every single story. You were there. I was there when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus died, when Jesus was exchanged, you were there. I was there. I think we find that our eyes are open to quite a bit when our lives intersect with Jesus. The very same way Barabbas' life intersected with Jesus on this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again. For the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the freedom that you have given us. Help us today, Father, to apply what we see, apply what we learn, and give us a heart of thanksgiving on this day of celebration that Jesus lives and Jesus loves us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Barabbas was condemned to die. There was no more appeals, there was no higher court. Barabbas had been tried, and he had been found guilty. In one moment, Barabbas was justifiably and perhaps deservedly on death row. And the next, the jailer walks in, 
opens the door and says, look, I don't know what's going on, but the judge says you're free to go. The judge says the rest of your life is for you to live, to exist, to love, to apply. This is your life now. Imagine what's going on in Barabbas' mind. You see, there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't tell us. And this is one of those things. I, 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 want, I want to know what Barabbas did. I want to know what Barabbas thought. I want to know the questions he began to ask. I want to know who he sought after he was released from prison. I want a follow-up and reaction from his life, the moment where it intersects with Jesus. One moment he's condemned to die with the only hope of a miracle, and the next he's set free. Personally, if I'm going to be rather harsh and cynical, I don't think Barabbas deserved this. And you probably don't think he deserved this either. I mean, let's look at the charges. Number one, he was a rebel. Number two, he was a murderer. In fact, Luke verse 23, or Luke chapter 23, calls him point blank a rebel and a murderer. Mark 7, 15 verse 7, a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And again, Luke 23 just point blank calls him a rebel and a murderer. And Jesus was killed, and he was set free. I don't know, maybe you have a, a teacher, maybe you had a special teacher in your life that you really connected to, made a significant impact in the whole course of your life, took the time, took the patience, had great wisdom. You may be, in fact, one of those teachers to some of these kids in this, uh, in this church. Maybe you had one of these teachers. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that teacher standing trial for some made-up charges of being evil? And while that's happening, someone who you know is evil, someone who you know is a murderer, someone who you know is a rebel that everyone knows is released, set to go free. What about, what about maybe some of you have brothers or sisters? Let's go there. Can you imagine your brother, your sister taking the punishment, not only taking the punishment, but being rebuked by those in charge, you knowing he's innocent. And what do they do? They turn to the guilty and they say, hey, you're free to go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only what? Maybe you've got a son. Maybe you've got a daughter. Go ahead. Can you imagine that? We're going to release this rebel. We're going to release this murderer. We're going to release, release someone who all he does is stir up trouble. And who are we going to condemn to die? To be tortured? I don't think Barabbas deserved it. And I think if I was the judge... Barabbas might still be in prison. Of course he didn't deserve it. We would certainly be tempted to say. But why would we say that? We would say Barabbas didn't deserve something like this because he's a rebel and a murderer. He's a bad guy. As a matter of fact, what we're trying to drive home, the point that we're trying to lead to is he's really bad. He's not like me. 
I'm much better than him. He's a bad guy. I'm a good guy. He's evil. I'm not. He's a rebel and a murderer. I'm just doing the best I can. We're trying to suggest in some way that Jesus' sacrifice for us made perfect sense, that we deserved every bit of it. Because after all, he's God. He can handle it, can't he? This is where we begin to lose sight of this incredible Easter egg that we have here. I like what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says, as you see, at just the right time, when we were all still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. That's Barabbas. That's you. That's who Christ died for. Christ died for the ungodly before giving their life to Jesus. In fact, Paul goes on to say, look, very rarely is anybody in the world going to die for a righteous man. <laughs> that's kind of self-righteousness. There isn't anybody that's going to give up their life for that. Although once in a great while, he says, I'll grant you this. Once in a great while, you're going to find somebody who will die for a good man or a decent fellow. And that's where we like to stop. See, there we go. Jesus died for me because of what? I'm a good man. I'm a decent guy. Let's just end it right there. Let's go home. Have some ham. But Jesus went farther than that, went beyond that. When we compare our lives to Barabbas, our eternal state to Barabbas, again, we get mixed up in this idea that he's wrong and I'm right. He's bad. I'm good. Therefore, Barabbas didn't deserve this, but I do. In verse 8, Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What is sin? Hmm? In fact, by definition, from the very beginning, from Genesis, we find that sin is rebellion. That's what sin is, rebellion. What was Barabbas? A rebel. What is sin? Rebellion. Have you sinned? Yes. What are you? A rebel. What were you? Rebellion is ejection or rejection of ordained authority, rejection of the commands, rejections of the order of that authority. Adam and Eve's sin in the garden is referred to as rebellion. Israel and Judah were called rebellious nations, not because they disregarded the current sitting king, but because they disregarded the very word of God. Once again, it's Jesus' own words. We've talked about this many times throughout the year. No one is good, says Jesus. Nobody's good except God alone. It didn't start out that way. God created man and women, man and woman. And he saw his creation, he looked upon his creation, and he said, it is very good. But humanity has been in rebellion ever since that. And, and this is what, what makes it even worse. Barabbas was an enemy of the state. The rest of us, Colossians chapter 1, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Barabbas was an enemy of the state. We were enemies of God himself. The creator of the state and everything inside of it. We rebelled against God through our sin. We rebelled against God through our pride. We rebelled against God through our rejection of his authority. And mankind has continued to do this. You struggle with it today. 
I promise, I guarantee there's somebody in here who struggles with that because I'm in this room too. We struggle with that every day. We want to be authority over our own lives. Jesus says, I made that life. I created it to live and work and operate and exist a certain way. He says, I want you to live the way you were built, the way you were constructed, the way I designed you. And we say, I do it my way. That's rebellion. Rebellion was was man's first sin against God's authority. The sinful nature doesn't want us to bow down to another authority, even God. And we want to be our own bosses. Again, in a crowd this size, we're still struggling with that. There are many people that continue to look back as they're trying to serve Jesus. They look back at this battle that rages in their heart and their mind after they put the hand on the plow. Rebellion is a pretty serious charge. Rebellion is the charge. By the way, that's what they were going to act on. The Romans were going to act on the rebellion. The murder was secondary. They were going to act on the rebellion. That was the problem. That was the big deal. To disturb this peace that they must have. The murder was just an added charge. But rebellion was enough. But there was another pretty serious charge. And we are guilty, or rather have been guilty, of rebellion... But what about the next charge against Barabbas? And again, it certainly goes along with rebellion. Murder. Murder. Wait a minute. Calm down. You know, this is what you say. I'm drawing the line right there, preacher. I've never killed anybody, okay? I'm out of here. I've never killed. I didn't say kill anybody. I said murder. There's a difference. Some of you, I can tell, know where I'm going with this. Matthew chapter 5. And here Jesus is not changing the terms of the law. He's simply correcting what we thought we knew about it. He says this, You've heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. He says, But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, it's a whole other lesson to explain the, the, the cultural references that Jesus is using here um, and, and to realize some of these words in context. And we can do that. You can ask me about it. I can lay that out for you. But I'm going to sum it up for you right here. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about hatred. Hatred. I hate that guy. I just hate that guy. You ever, you ever profess hatred from somebody you don't even know? Hear about him, see him on TV, whatever it is, and you think to yourself, well, I just hate that guy. You don't even know him. Never met him. Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Hatred. This rebellion in our heart and our mind, this ugliness, this blackness in our hearts and our minds. I hate that lady. We say we hate a lot of things. It's okay to hate some things. Blueberry muffins, Twizzlers. <laughs> Blueberry muffins. Look, I, I'm not even going to talk about it. I got, I'm going to get sick. You're wrong, John. You're wrong. Hate. <laughs> I fear some of you are missing the point. <laughs> we, can hate, we can hate sin. We can hate some of the results 
in people's lives of the ugliness of, of, of rebellion. We, we can hate some of the things. We can hate some of the things we do. We can hate some of the things we're tempted with. We can hate some of the things we're wrestling with. But to hate another creation that is fearfully and wonderfully made, you're hating another Barabbas. And if you're hating another Barabbas, you're hating another you. One of the most misunderstood passages, verses in all of Scripture is from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about judgment. One of these days, we're going to go top to bottom and explain exactly what Jesus is saying there. He's not saying don't judge. He's saying make sure you judge the right things in the right way. And you can hate the ugliness of sin. But you have absolutely no right in your life to hate another one of God's creations fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes they are disturbed by sin. They're perverted by sin. They're held captive because of sin. They're transformed because of sin. They're slaves to sin. And because of that, it permeates their mind, all of this evil that's a part of their lives. And you can hate the evil behind it all you want. But it's so easy for us to hate things, hate people. This is what Jesus is talking about. He compares that to murder. That's what hatred is. What's Jesus trying to drive home? What's the point he's trying to drive home? You've done everything at that point except the very tail end of murder, which is drive the knife home. Everything else, you've already done. You've already committed in murder. You've already committed in hatred. You've gone 99% of the way. All that's left is the actual physical. See, this is why he compares those things, hatred to murder. And I don't know if there's anybody in this room who's ever actually taken a life. If that's done out of vengeance or out of revenge or something like that, that's a bad thing, yet even that can be forgiven. But we're talking about something that goes deeper into the heart and mind and soul of a person. That is hatred of another person. The only thing left is plunging the night. Everything else is done. What staves off? If that kind of hatred is in your mind and in your heart, what staves off the plunging of the knife? Not, not righteousness. Usually just the teeth of the state. If I plunge the knife, then I'm going to go to prison or worse. And if you're consumed by hatred, a seething rage, that's the only thing that keeps you from doing all of it. The rest of it's already done. Murder. Jesus says if that's the condition of your heart and your mind, you're already in prison. And you're hurting yourself and those around you. You're already on death row. But note, I will say this. I'll say to a person that you have in your past rebelled against God due to sin in your life. And I think that's accurate. We're told that in Scripture prior to coming to know who Jesus is. But to say that each individual has participated in this kind of hatred and this kind of seething anger, I think is inaccurate. I wouldn't paint that brush on every person that I come in contact with. However, when you look at humanity, when you see the plight of mankind, when you hear about it today, when you hear about it throughout history, there is murder after murder after murder after murder. A lot of these done in the heart and the mind, a lot of them even done physically as well. The human race is full of murderers. Rebels and murderers condemned to die. 
You, me, and Barabbas just sharing a jail cell. And that's, that's what sin is. It's a prison. We give up a piece of our freedom every time we rebel against God. And by the way, what do you gain from that? What have you earned from your rebellion? What have I? Because I'll tell you this, as I look back upon my life, and this I'm very serious of, as I look back upon my life, the only thing I've earned is embarrassment. That's it. That's it. I haven't earned any notoriety. I haven't earned any title. I haven't earned any prestige. I certainly haven't earned any wisdom. I've earned embarrassment every time I rebel against Jesus. I like what Paul again has to say in chapter 6 of Romans. When you were slaves to sin, he says, you were free from the control of righteousness. He says, but what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. What did you gain from your rebellion? This is the state of Barabbas until Jesus shows up. This was the state of me. I was there. And I really hope you understand that you were there too. But an exchange was made. And we like to say it was a prisoner exchange, but it really wasn't. It was an exchange between a king and a prisoner. Now, the cynic may say that this exchange was forced on Jesus. But for those who know Jesus, have listened to Jesus, and read his ministry, we know better. This was always the plan. It was always the plan for Jesus to give his life for Barabbas. It was always the plan for Jesus to give his life for you. It was always the plan for Jesus to give his life for me. From the very beginning of creation, that tells me you're pretty special. That Jesus would know your name and give his life for you. This was always the plan. He always had to go to the cross for Barabbas and for us. And Barabbas is now a free man, Romans 6, 22. But now you've been set free from sin and become servants of God. You benefit. Uh, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or at least Barabbas had the opportunity to be a free man. I suppose he could have stayed in prison. The jailer could have come in, opened the door, said, Barabbas, you're free to go. And Barabbas could have said, no, I'm, I'm comfortable right here. I'm good. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Jesus' life for his, and he doesn't accept that trade and stays in prison. You and I scoff at that because it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Do you think that happens? Do you think that happens in real life? Do you think that happens when it comes to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? That people realize, they hear, they understand about Jesus Christ. And they say, look, I'm good. I don't want that as a part of my life. I don't want Jesus. I don't want to submit to Jesus. I don't want to give over my life to him so that I can be free. I'll do it. It happens every day. Barabbas sits in the cell. He says, no thanks, I'm good. You know what this is? It's called being institutionalized. Barabbas could have been so comfortable with being in the jail cell that even though Jesus is exchanged for him, he refuses to leave. We become spiritually institutionalized. I am so comfortable with my sin. I don't want it to go away. I'm so comfortable with my life. I'm so comfortable with the picture, the false picture that I have made of myself that I don't want to jeopardize that. And so I'm just going to stay in the jail cell. 
We laugh at the idea of Barabbas doing this. And people do this every day. If you've known the jail cell all your life, make no mistake, it takes courage to step out of that jail cell. It takes courage to embrace life. It takes strength. It takes fortitude to embrace this life that Jesus has given you. Because that's what freedom is. Freedom is wonderful, but freedom's dangerous. Freedom is dangerous. There wasn't anybody else in the world who was going to hurt Barabbas while he was in his jail cell. Couldn't do it. But once he had freedom, now he's open to the world. It's a dangerous thing, but it's a wonderful thing to be free through Jesus Christ when your life and his life intersect. And that's what happened with Barabbas and Jesus. I was there. I saw the opportunity that was presented. I left my cell a free man. But could I be sure? What if all of this was a cruel joke? When Jesus' life and my life crossed, when it intersected, did it really lead to eternal life? Did he really have that kind of power? And if he did, by the way, why was all of this happening anyway? The price for my infraction Though I was free, still had to be paid. We already talked about that. We serve a just God. It would be unjust, unjust for you to pay for my infractions or for a stranger to pay for my infractions, and I can't pay for them myself. So God said, I'll pay for them, and that's why he was crucified. He became my rebellion. And so on the crucifixion or at the crucifixion, forgiveness is given. Justice is meted out, and the price was paid. What about life? He could do that too. If you ever, I think I jumped the gun. We'll get there in a second. <laughs> I'm nodding too much. We're, hey. You even winked at me. I know we're okay. I'm getting. I'm getting. We're, we're on our way. We're almost there. No, you're fine. You're fine. We'll move it along. I'm getting bored with this anyway. Uh, <laughs> if you, if you read through Jesus' ministry, you will notice he borrows a lot of things. He borrows a, a boat from Peter to preach from. Uh, he borrows, um, he borrows some, some bread and a fish from a boy and returns that manyfold. He borrows a coin to teach a lesson, returns that. Uh, he borrows a donkey. He borrows uh, a room to dine in. He ends up returning those. At the very end of his life and ministry, he borrows a tomb. And he returns that too, doesn't he? He gives that back. See, that's what today is. That's how we can be sure of everything else that we've talked about. That's how we can be sure that Barabbas, you and me, are free indeed. Because Jesus is alive. He says, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to rise from the dead. Well, he rose from the dead. He forgave us as well. He lives eternally with the Father. Matthew 28, after the Sabbath at dawn on Friday the first day, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary... Uh, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the lamp, the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, I love that, by the way. I'm sorry, just a second. I, lo I, love, I love the fact that the angel's sitting on the stone. You, ever, you, you, you use your imagination when you read this stuff. 
instead of like standing there, you know, with like a sword, you know, on the stone or standing by the door, I just love that he's sitting on the stone. And in my head, he's just kind of kicking his feet, you know, just kind of sitting there waiting. And I was, they'll be along. They'll be along. Sweet fun. You know, just really glad. Think about it. What if he was? What if the angel was really glad that he got this assignment right here? Seriously. You know, to be the herald of the resurrection of Jesus. What a wonderful thing. Just be kind of sitting there on the eating an apple or something. You know, just sitting there waiting. And that's, that's, my, that's my picture. He sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid they shook, became like dead men. They passed out. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said he would. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He's risen from the dead. and He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you're going to see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. I like this description. Afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. I don't know. This is what I meant to call you up. I don't know. what Barabbas did after he was released. The Bible doesn't say what he did. In my mind, Barabbas did seek out this man who was exchanged for him. He began asking questions. What's going on? Why did this happen? Who is this guy? He watched the crucifixion. And then a couple of days later, he begins hearing stories about this same guy walking around. That's, that's the way I picture Barabbas' life after this. In my mind, this was all too miraculous for him to just leave it alone and not ask why. I know that Barabbas was a rebel and a murderer, exactly the way we, we see it, we understand it, leading a rebellion and killing people. But I do sincerely hope that his life was changed by this. I know that my life was changed by this. Jesus is alive. Believe it or not, it's still true. He set me free, he paid the price, and he promised me life that only he can deliver. And I know that he will. I hope you know the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. But right now, we thank you that Jesus really did rise from the dead. We know he did. And we know you love us as a father loves their children. We know you have forgiven us of our rebellion. But Father, we know that that forgiveness is only through Jesus. It's not, <laughs> it's not any other way. It is only through your son. Let us, Father, not cheapen that sacrifice. Help us work upon our hearts and our minds that we give our life and all of our sin, all of our ugliness, all of our screw-ups, that we give all of that to Jesus right now. That he takes that, he accepts that, and he forgives us of all of it. That we might be made anew today. That we might be recovered today. Father, thank you that Jesus is alive. That we no longer have well in prison. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone
have one more service after this. I invite you to attend. I'm going to use the real Bible that time. Should be show. read the real stuff. Um, actually, there's been a lot of people here this morning uh, and for this service. So next service, we probably we're going to have about four. Um, but <laughs> hold off on the ham when you get home. They're going to be heading your way. All right, don't worry about it. Uh, it was a wonderful day to praise Jesus and remember that he is alive. He is our God. He is our king. Uh, you can... You can honor that. And you can respect that. And you can be reverent towards that. But particularly today, you can be, be happy about that. Be excited about it. Have, have fun. Have fun with those things. Because that's what life is. This is this life that Jesus has granted us. An eternal life and a hope and an eternal kingdom with Jesus. Enjoy that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and you've displayed that love on the cross through Jesus thank you that he is alive. We thank you that he has forgiven us of our sins. And we thank you that we get to live eternally, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus did. It's in his name we pray. Amen. this for you, and, and, and we'll get to his resurrection here in just a moment, but very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and teachers of the law, the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You've said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, are you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing full well it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Probably familiar with a song uh, written years ago, 200 years ago now, uh, called Were You There? Asked the question, Were You There? Uh, it's put in a hymnal back in uh, 1899. Uh, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? Were you there when they pierced his side? Were you there when the sun refused to shine? That's the question. And I submit to you, certainly after we read that last passage, that you were there. 
And if you're not willing to accept that you were there, at least entertain the possibility that I was there. This is what we see in this passage of Mark chapter 15. We find yet an Easter egg, right? You're familiar with Easter eggs, certainly this time of year, right? You make the eggs, you boil the eggs, you, you color them, uh, get the coloring all over the table, right? That's what you do. And then you hide the eggs and the kids find the eggs. That's, I love coloring Easter eggs. It's, the whole family sits around the table and we just get to color Easter eggs. I colored a pink one uh, this year. It was really good. It was just a real deep pink. I was really proud of this. Really proud of this egg. Anyway, um, it was it was pretty. <laughs> when you, you put the eggs out, and we didn't do that this morning. We we're going to do that this afternoon. But the eggs are already out. I put the eggs out like two or three weeks ago. They should be they're they're fine. Uh, we're going to hunt them. <laughs> Easter egg. But there's another way of expressing an Easter egg that you've probably heard of, and this way was coined in a, a few decades ago, uh, 1979 uh, to be exact, and that is simply to find something that's put someplace deliberately, but it's just hard to find. Uh, it's, it's put there for a reason. It's put there so that we can use it, so that we can learn a lesson from it. And uh, sometimes it's hard to draw out some of the things that we can see. And that's another thing an Easter egg is. And this is what we find in Mark. And now some people have seen this Easter egg throughout the years. Uh, but I've noticed over the past couple of years as I talk and discuss this, this truth about Barabbas being released from prison, that sometimes it, it escapes our notice that Barabbas is us. He's you. He's me. That's Barabbas. Until Jesus' life and Barabbas' life intersect, he's in prison. He's locked up. He has no hope of anything beyond what he knows. Now, this Easter egg is particularly important in Scripture. This is one of the few accounts that's in every recording of the gospel uh, message. Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That's not in every account of the gospel. Turning water into wine is not in every account of the gospel. The Great Commission is not in every account of the gospel. The Christmas story, the genealogy of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. There are so many things that are not in every account of the gospel message. But this, Barabbas being released from prison, is in every single one. It's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. It's there for us to know. Some have found it and realized it's significant over the years. Some have not. But the moment where Barabbas' life intersects with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can learn from this account. We thank you that we can see ourselves even there at the foot of the cross. That we can see ourselves in this forgiveness and this freedom as we encounter Jesus. I ask, Father, that you'll help us to see that today. Help us to dwell upon it. Help us to meditate upon these things. And certainly help us to remember our freedom from prison as we celebrate today. The whole point of life, Jesus' resurrection. It's in his name. Amen. Barabbas was condemned to die. That was it. He'd been tried and he'd been found guilty. He was locked up in prison, justifiably, perhaps deservedly, on death row. And the very next moment, <laughs> the jailer walks in. Tells Barabbas, I have no idea what's going on, but the judge says you're free to go. Unlocks the door, and Barabbas is able to stroll out of prison. 
Nothing Barabbas did. He didn't change anything. He didn't destroy the prison walls. He didn't suddenly fall into the good graces of the judge because of his good behavior. No, it just so happened to be that point in history where Barabbas' life crosses paths with Jesus' life and who gets out of prison? Barabbas. I, I, I don't know what went through his mind. There's a few things that the Bible doesn't talk about and this is one of the things that it doesn't, one of the things I want to know. I want the follow-up of his mind, don't you? Just confusion, relief, looking around, wondering what's going on, wanting to know who this guy is, asking questions about him. One moment condemned to die with the only hope of, of a miracle, and you don't even know what that miracle is, and the next completely free. Personally, I don't think he deserved it, right? He was a rebel and a murderer. Look at the charges. Mark, Mark 15, 7. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Now, Luke chapter 23, he just point blank calls Barabbas a rebel and a murderer. And for that rebel, right, leading riots through the street, for that murderer, Jesus is killed and he's set free. Maybe you've had a teacher, a special teacher in your life, uh, one that made a tremendous impact in your life, one that, one that built who you've become. Maybe you have a special teacher that you love, and they love you, and you know it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that teacher, whom you know to be innocent, standing on trial, hearing all of these bad things said about him, said about her, and then condemned to die, and someone you know to be guilty being released. Just set free. What about a brother or sister? A brother or sister you know to be innocent. Wonderful, compassionate, patient, teacher, wonderful things. All of this abuse heaped upon them, and then ultimately condemned to die. And this rebel and murdering scum gets released. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only what? Maybe you have a son. Maybe you have a daughter. Can you imagine that? Condemned to die. And this rabble that you wouldn't even spend time with, is released, set free. Barabbas' life for Jesus, one of the great injustices of history. He didn't deserve it. Of course he didn't deserve it. That's what we would say, or, or may be tempted to say. After all, we look at, this is one of the reasons we read through this so quickly, is because we don't compare ourselves or think we and Barabbas are the same people. He's a bad guy, I'm not. He's bad, I'm good. He messed up, I didn't mess up. He's too bad, I'm good enough. That's why we don't put ourselves in the shoes of Barabbas. That's why we simply read through this as some criminal that got released. 
And this is why we lose sight of this being the incredible Easter egg that it is specifically placed here for you right now in this room. For me. I love what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 5. You see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for you and me. Paul doesn't say you and me. He says Christ died for the what? Ungodly. Ungodly. Not the godly, not the good, not the right, not the okay, not the good enough. Not the perfect. He died for the ungodly. The ungodly is you. The ungodly is me. He goes on to say, look, nobody's going to die for a righteous person. It's this self-righteousness. But I'll grant you, once in a while, you're going to find somebody who dies for a good person. And that's where we like to stop, because I'm a good person. I'm not Barabbas. I'm not a rebel, and I'm not a murderer. We compare our condition to Barabbas. We compare our lives to Barabbas. When we compare our eternal state to Barabbas, we like to stop here. He's right. Or he's wrong, I'm right, he's bad, I'm good, therefore Barabbas didn't deserve this. But what are we driving at? I do. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we'd gotten out of prison. Not after we'd fixed everything. Not after we'd been good enough. Not after we met the right person or went to the right church. Not after we gave the right amount of offering. None of this stuff. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died to save all of us. We're in the cell. We're in the cell with Barabbas. You, me, and Barabbas. Just sitting there sharing a jail cell. And then our lives cross with Jesus' life. What is sin? Hmm? By its definition, sin is rebellion. Barabbas is a rebel. I'm not. Sin is rebellion. Rebellion is rejection of ordained authority, rejection of the commands, and rejection of the order of that authority. Adam and Eve's sin is referred to as rebellion in the garden when they rejected the authority of God over their lives. Israel and Judah are called rebellious nations, not because they rebelled against the current sitting king, but because they disregarded the word of God in their lives. That's what a rebel is. Once again, Jesus says himself, we've talked about this at length, no one is good. No one. Except for God himself. It didn't start out that way. You know that. God created man. God created woman. He looked upon his creation and he said, it is very good. And from that moment on, we have been in rebellion against the authority of God. We have been in rebellion against the commands of God. We have been in rebellion and separating ourselves from the grace of God. Barabbas was an enemy of the state. But you and I, before our lives crossed with Jesus... You and I were much more than enemies of the state. Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. I'm looking at a room full of saved people. We're talking about who you were. You ought to love Easter. This ought to be the greatest day of your life. It's the greatest day of mine. Because I've screwed up a lot. You think you've screwed up? We'll compare notes one day. 
But Jesus died for me, loves me, cares about me, paid the price for it. Once I was an enemy of God until my life and Jesus' life crossed paths. Rebellion, look, it can become violent as in, you know, this rebellion in the city. But it can also remain unexpressed, this rebellion. And it always begins in the heart. Barabbas was rebellion. We rebel against God before Jesus Christ. Rebellion was the first sin. It continues to be our downfall. Our sinful nature does not want to submit our lives to anybody else. And we struggle with it. We fight with it all the time. We want to be our own bosses. We certainly don't want to give our life to Jesus. And that's the root of the sin. And I guarantee, I promise you, there are people in this room right now that still struggle with that, wanting to be the bosses of their own life. And they know that it's wrong, but they're still back and forth and back and forth. I happen to know for a fact that there's people in this room right now that struggle with that because I'm in this room. It's hard, isn't it? But more and more we submit to Jesus Christ, the more and more our eyes are open to the forgiveness and love and grace and peace that he has given us and the value that we have. Barabbas was a rebel. You were a rebel. That's what sin is. So far, Barabbas is a pretty good picture of you and me. But what about the next charge? He was two things, right? Rebel and murder. By the way, murder was the secondary charge. It wasn't the primary charge. That wasn't what they were going after when it came to Barabbas. He was in jail because he was rebel. Because he led a rebellion. They didn't care nearly as much about him killing people as they did about disturbing the peace inside of that town, inside of that city. That was enough uh, to throw you in prison for good and for life. So he was a rebel. And we've determined that we have rebelled against God as well. We're certainly guilty of that. But what about the next charge that goes along with rebellion? What about murder? And this is where you usually throw up your hands, at least in your own mind, and say, wait a minute, hold on, preacher, just calm down. I'm going to draw the line there because I've never killed anybody. I didn't say kill anybody. I said murder. There's a difference. Some of you, I can tell, you know where I'm going with this. Matthew chapter 5. Here, Jesus is not changing the terms of the law. He is simply correcting. Get this right, okay? Okay. Jesus is correcting what we thought we knew about the law. This is what he's telling us. He goes into it, Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This is your own life hanging upon this. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will will be in danger of the fire of hell. It's a whole new, it's a whole other lesson to talk about the cultural references that Jesus is using here, the language that he's using here, and, and, and what we are meant to understand by the words that he says. And I can, I can give you that lesson. You can email me. I can lay that out for you. But what he's talking about, and I'll just sum it up for you, is hatred. 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 I hate that guy. I hate that lady. Don't. You ever hated somebody you've never even met? Huh? It just rolls off the tongue sometimes. There's a seething anger in the mind and in the heart. 
someone you've seen, someone you've heard, but someone you've not even met. And there's a rage that builds inside of you. Can you imagine how foolish one would be to hate someone they've never even met? And we struggle with something like that. To hate another creation just like you and me. Somewhat fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you don't like this, if you don't agree with this, if you don't get this, if you're not going to obey this, then you have not given your life to Jesus. You understand that? If hatred of another person is okay with you, you have not accepted Jesus Christ into your life. You know that. I fear for you. There's no place for the Holy Spirit and hatred. They don't live together, guys. They don't live together. You can hate some things. You can hate blueberry muffins. You can hate Twizzlers. I don't think you can hate donuts. I don't think that's allowed. Um, here's what you can hate. You can hate sin. You can hate the results of sin. You can hate the effects of sin. You can hate the stuff that you struggle with in sin. You can hate the evil that there is that causes people to throw their lives away. You can hate stuff. But you don't hate another creation who is fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, I know they do some bad things, right? Human beings do bad things. But they're consumed by an evil that is without but develops within. There is evil. There is Satan. There are those that would tempt. And we give our lives over to it because we're still in prison. We're still struggling with these things. Hate what they do. Don't hate them. That's what murder is. This is what Jesus is comparing murder to. And that's why he says murder. If we entertain hatred, that is seething rage in our minds and in our hearts, what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 is that you've already done everything involved in committing a murder except the last tiny step, which is plunging the knife. Everything else you've done. You've destroyed a person in your own heart and in your own mind and in the process have destroyed yourself with this kind of hatred and this kind of rage, this seething rage. You've done it all except for actually carrying out the physical act. 99.9% .9 of the murder is already accomplished. What If we have that kind of idea, if we have that kind of rage and that kind of hatred in our heart towards another person, what's... What keeps us from plunging the knife? What staves off the knife? Not being a good person. Not righteousness. You know what keeps us, if we think that way about another person, you know what actually keeps us from plunging the knife? Simply the teeth of the stake. If I plunge the knife, I'm going to go to prison or even worse. So I'm not going to plunge the knife. Everything else you've already done if you're consumed with hatred and rage towards another person. Hate what they do if they dishonor themselves, others, and Jesus. But not the creation itself. Jesus says if that's the condition of your heart, you're already in prison. You're on death row and you don't know it. I will note this, though. Number one, to say a person has rebelled against God because of sin, uh, that I can buy. I will agree with that. Just to say the human race has done that. Pretty much everybody I've ever met has rebelled against God in some way because of a sin that they have committed. Now, to say that each person that I've ever met has engaged in this kind of rage and hatred, I think that's too broad a brush, okay? I, I, think, that's, I think that's too broad a brush. However, 
when I look at the human race, when I look at people in general, we see this all the time, don't we? We hear about it, we see it, we read about it. People we know and love struggle with it. It destroys you. You want to argue with me, that's fine. I don't care about that. It's kind of fun sometimes. You want to debate, that's fine. With other people, and, and you're going to hear other things around the world. But, but to go from there to hatred, that's murder. It's no less severe in anyone's life, including your own. Barabbas is a rebel. Barabbas is a murderer. You and I, certainly rebels, and many of the people that we've met, maybe someone here today, engaging in this type of murder before Jesus Christ. Rebels and murderers condemned to die. And that's what sin is as we sit in the, the, the jail cell with Barabbas. It is prison. We give up a piece of our freedom every time we rebel against God. And what have you earned from that rebellion? You know what I've earned from that rebellion when I look back upon my life? And I'm serious about this. Embarrassment. That's what I've learned. I'm embarrassed of some of the things I've done, some of the things I've said. That's it. I didn't earn wisdom or prestige or a title or anything like that. I didn't earn strength. Every time I have rejected what Jesus wants for me in my life, I earn embarrassment. That's what rebellion leads to. I love again what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, when you were slaves to sin, look, you were free from the control of righteousness. But verse 21, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. That's what happens when we rebel against God. And that was the state of Barabbas, at least until Jesus showed up. This is me. I was there. And I hope that you understand that you were there too. But an exchange was made between Jesus and Barabbas. And some people call it a prisoner exchange, but it wasn't. It was a king for a prisoner. That was the exchange that was made. Now the cynic may say that this exchange was forced, but those who know the history of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus know full well that this was always the plan. Jesus was always going to give his life for Barabbas. He was always going to give his life for you. He was always going to give his life for me. There was no way he was going to shrink away from the cross. This was the plan. Barabbas is now a free man, Romans 6.22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become servants of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. That is the wages of rebellion. But the gift of God that Jesus gives us on the cross, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Barabbas had that chance. At least he had that opportunity to be a free man. I suppose he could have stayed in the jail cell, couldn't he? The jailer could have come in, thrown open the doors, said there's a guy named Jesus that wants to take your place. And Barabbas could have said, no thanks, I'm good. I'm going to stay right here. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? That would be silly, wouldn't it? And yet how many times, how many situations, how many people do we come across day after day who are put in that very same position? Jesus is here. He wants to take your place. He wants to set you free. And he wants to make sure you are not condemned to die. There are people all over the world that say, no thanks. I'm good. 
I'm just going to stay in prison. We become institutionalized, spiritually institutionalized. That's this idea that, that no matter what you're used to, even if it's horrible, you're, you're too afraid to do something new or something, something outside of that. You, you think that that's just the way life is. We become spiritually institutionalized. Let me tell you something. When you, when you walk out of prison after being in prison your whole life, after realizing that Jesus wants to take your place with your sin in your life, it is a scary thing. Be patient with people. It, 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 once you become institutionalized, it's a, it's a courageous thing to give your life away, even if it's to Jesus. It requires a great deal of strength. Requires a great deal of courage to do something like that. Be patient with people around you, especially as they struggle back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, <laughs> tempting you to really hate them. <laughs> Be patient. It's a difficult thing to give your life away, especially when you become institutionalized, spiritually institutionalized. Jesus offers freedom, forgiveness, and life, and that's just a bridge too far for somebody when they need to surrender their life to Him. But I was there. And I saw the opportunity that was presented, and I left my cell a free man. I'm no longer in jail, no longer in that cell. I know there's people here who are no longer in that jail cell. But could I be sure? <laughs> Jailer comes in and says, you're free to go. And I get about halfway out the jail cell now. I start getting real scared thinking, is he serious? Is this real? He's not going to turn around and tell me this is some cruel joke, is he? How can I be sure that this is real? How can I be sure that this leads to eternal life? How can I be sure that Jesus had the power and the authority to forgive my sin and keep me from death? And if he had that kind of power and authority, why was he allowing all of this to happen in the first place? Remember, there had to be a price paid for my infractions. Though I am free, though I was free when Jesus was there, the price still had to be paid. We've said this before. Justice had to be delivered. God defines himself as just, right? And if he refuses to be just, he refuses to be how he defines himself. That's not possible. It would be unjust for the price to remain unpaid. It would be unjust for you to pay for my rebellion. So my God, my Father, my Creator simply says, I'll pay for it. The guy that created it and the guy I rebelled against says, I'll pay the price. Some of you have kids. He really is a father, isn't he? And always loving, always there, always willing, always paying. Father said, I'll pay the price. God said, I'll pay the price. That's why he was crucified. That's why he became your rebellion. So forgiveness was given. Forgiveness is given. Justice is meted out. The price was paid. What about life? Could he do that too? You know, Jesus, if you read through his ministry, he seemed to borrow a lot of things. Ever notice this? So a lot of things that Jesus used from other people in order to get through some, some lessons or some sermons. He borrowed a, a boat uh, from, peep, from, from Peter, and he ended up returning that. He borrowed some bread and some fish from a little boy and, and returned that many fold over. 
He borrowed a coin to teach a lesson and returned that. He borrowed a donkey and a room to dine in and later on returned that to the rightful owners. And finally, in his life and ministry, he borrowed a tomb. And he returned that as well, didn't he? He gave that back because he didn't need that anymore. See, the tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew chapter 28, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love the way that's written. I love the fact, just to use your imagination, I love the fact the angel's sitting on the stone. He's not standing on it with like sword drawn, you know. He's not standing by the, by the entrance to the tomb, you know. He's sitting on the stone. I love I picture him, and I'm serious about this, I picture him kind of kicking his feet, you know, just kind of waiting, really happy that he, that he got to be involved in this kind of a message, you know, just overfilled with joy that he gets to be the one to tell the world that, hey, tomb's empty, you know, just kind of sitting there eating an apple, waiting on the, on the ladies to show up. I love, I love that picture right there. He's sitting on the stone. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook, became like dead men. They passed out. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said he would. Come and see the place. See the place where he was laid. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you're going to see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away. From the tomb. I like this description. Afraid. This is what happens when you give your life to Jesus. Afraid yet filled with joy. That's a great description right there. Afraid yet filled with joy. And ran to tell his disciples. I don't know what Barabbas did. After he was released from prison. I I, I really wish I did. Uh, The Bible doesn't say that. My mind. My imagination. Um, it says that he sought out whoever this Jesus guy was. He wanted to ask. He wanted to know. My, my imagination, he, he comes out of prison and, and, and goes to where Jesus is being held or where Jesus is being mocked or where Jesus is being prepared and kind of peeks over the wall or, or peeks through some shrubbery just to kind of get a look at this guy who gave his life for him. Who, who exchanged himself for Barabbas. Again, in my mind, he follows him to the cross at a distance because he wants to get out of town, but he still has to know. And he sees him crucified. A couple days later, he's having dinner or something. He's eating outside at a diner, and he sees, hears a few people talking about the fact that they have heard and seen this Jesus guy walking around. He's eavesdropping on this conversation. Hit me. He begins to ask. He begins to look. He begins to seek. He begins to talk to his disciples. Because this is too miraculous for him to just leave it alone and not ask why. My imagination, look, I know that he is a rebel and a murderer, but I sincerely sincerely hope, I honestly hope that his life was changed by this. Yes, he's a bad, bad guy. He's somebody that I wouldn't want to be like, but I still hope his life has changed. By the sacrifice of Jesus. I know that mine was. 
Whatever you believe, whether you believe it or not, Jesus is alive. That's the truth. He has set me free. He set you free. He paid that price. And he's promised me a life that only he can deliver. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus loves us. We thank you that you expressed your love through Jesus on the cross. We thank you, Father, that Jesus is alive. We thank you that we do get to live eternally with him. Father, help us. Help us to realize that Barabbas, at one point, before Jesus, is us. Help us to respond in obedience and faith. Help us to respond in, in gratitude. Help us, Father, not to rebel anymore. And certainly not to commit murder in our hearts. Father, we thank you that all the problems, all the issues, difficulties that we've gone through, you still want us. You still want us to live forever. You still want us to live eternally. You are truly our Father. I thank you for Jesus and his life that ushers in our life. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and sing. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree body bowed and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all
shall return in robes of white. The blazing star shall pierce the night, and I will rise along the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' sacrifice. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you that we are given life through Jesus Christ. We don't, we didn't earn it. We don't have to worry about losing it. We don't have to worry about falling out of your love, Father. It's already shown. It's already done. I thank you, Father, that that is, that is our life. That is what we look forward to. Not uncertainty, but absolute certainty and life in Jesus. We celebrate that today. We thank you. We thank you for who you are, for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 